Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, the Finding Human program on High FM. And my guest today is Sebo Gensini Vilakazi. And he was last with me in uh, in May, actually, the beginning of May this year. And we were talking about the book he had just brought out, uh, which was is called Who Shall Stand? And if you haven't read it yet, it's a book of poetry, of prose, of stories. It evokes many memories. I suggest you read it. But the reason why we are together today is to discuss our topic, Courage in the Face of Grief and Chaos. In the recent violence and riots and looting that took place, Sebo and I reached out to each other afterwards in shock. We were both in total shock. And I asked if you would like to come on to my program today, and he agreed to come on. So welcome, Sebo. How are you today? Good morning, Sue, and good morning to your listeners. I'm very well, thank you, and so pleased to have this privilege to chat with you again today. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for inviting me. I am too. You know, Anne Frank said, in spite of everything, I still believe that people are good at heart. That was Anne Frank. And if she can say that, I do believe we can all say that. And I think uh, a little bit of the shock is wearing off now. But I did read a post of yours, a Facebook post uh, of yours, and I would like to actually mention that Sebo is the um, executive director of of the Valley Trust, which is in the, the Valley of the Thousand Hills between Peter Maritzburg and Durban. It's it's uh, near Burtis Hill, and what's the area called in in Zulu? It's got a special name. Okay, and they they um, they they have a flagship program which is called Grow Well Child, and this focuses on the health and the development of the naught to six year old children, and they work with the primary carers of these children, whoever they may be, to develop uh, skills and teach skills. So um, they they have this clinic as well, part of their Valley uh, Trust. There is a, a clinic that is uh, with their part of their buildings and which they rent out to the KZN Health Department. Now, tell me what actually happened on the day of the riots. Okay, so we, in addition to the clinic, we have a tenant on our property that is that operates a uh, hardware store. The building is ours. And Peter van Furen, who is the tenant, operates a hardware store from there. And I have to state that when we let our premises, uh, whether it's office space or whatever it is, uh, on, on, our, on our property, we have very clear criteria for what we look for because these tenants become the Valley Trust's way of delivering that service or product without necessarily having the Valley Trust do it ourselves. 
So Peter's um, hardware store provided a very important service to the community, provides gas, he provides, um, this is liquid petroleum gas, which lots of households use. He provides paraffin, electricity vouchers. It had the only ATM in the, in the community of thousands of people. Otherwise, it's an expensive taxi fare into the suburban areas to get these, these basic needs. So on the 11th of July, a mob of people descended on this building and totally looted it. And Peter's been working, he's been a tenant of ours for two years. And over those two years, he's been working very hard and we've been working with him to bring it up to the level that it can really be a, a useful asset and resource to the community. And to see all that go in a matter of days was really heartbreaking. And so... Sorry, yeah, go on. So that's really the essence of what prompted that letter. And for me, one of the other things that left me in shock, I suppose, and just bewildered as to how to make sense of all this was seeing people whom you would otherwise expect to be the voices of reason and stop others from committing these acts themselves actively participating. And this was mainly the women, the older women, whether mothers or grandmothers. And some of them had brought young children along. I uh, saw this one woman who had a child who was pushing a wheelbarrow. The lady was carrying stuff in her, in her arms and the child was also carrying other stuff that had been looted from the shop, uh, pushing a wheelbarrow. And that just made my heart break. But it also caused me to take a moment and think, what does that say about us as a community? What does it say about us as a society? And so the letter I wrote was really more of a rant and a venting of the frustration myself and my team and my colleagues were feeling at the time. And you know, Sebo, I remember reading in your book one of the stories about the women and the role that women play. You've always had such this high respect for women and uh, which really came from your mom and your sisters and your, their, your mom's role in your life. So for you to actually uh, be confronted by seeing the women who you believe are, are the carriers of the values in the, in the home and in the society, were you incredibly disappointed? I was. And that said, Sue, I think we have to be careful to not place more an unfair an unfair burden on the women in our community than anybody else. The men are also just as culpable, and the men are also just as responsible for inculcating wholesome values in the children, in the households, and in the communities. It is, uh, in fact, the reason that we would even think this of women is because they are the ones who have stood up when it counted. When That's the men were nowhere to be seen mm-hmm. and taken the re- and taken responsibility for house for heading households and for ensuring that children uh, children are nurtured in an environment that builds them into productive and whole uh, and uh, and whole uh, adults. So that disappointment comes from there. Now, what's interesting, of course, about this is that and I since that time have been reading up again on what I know about mob mob mentality. And really, there's very many times kind of this removal 
of one from how this yeah separate detachment this detachment from how one would act independently when they're now confronted by um, you know action within a group so I still hold that respect for women, and I think in some ways it's unfair, maybe even for me to single them out. But the only reason I would single them out is because they are the ones who have taken more than their fair share of the responsibility in our households and in our communities in the past. I would like thank you so much for what you've just said, because on that note, we're going to be listening uh, shortly to a, a YouTuber, Maya Angelou. And of a reaction that she had after 9-11. Thank you, Craig. Yes, ma'am. Bermaya. Hello, Dr. Angela. I was in New York City the 11th, and um, a couple days, couple months later, I heard you talk about you. First, you thought about those poor people, and then you said then those poor people who were in the planes who caused the crashes. And I just thought the same thing. I was crying when I saw it on TV. And then to hear you say you were praying and thinking about the people who who did the act, and I was like, you are. But I need to be as good as that, and that's what I want to be in my life is just to have forgiveness for everyone because you have to forgive to be able to do anything else. Yeah. I just want to thank you for thank saying you. that. Thank you. My first, I first thought, I was in New York City as well, and I first thought that that was an errant uh, per, small plane that had lost uh, its, its way. But when the second one hit, I thought terrorism. And I thought of the people there in the building. And then I thought of the people in the plane. Those who caused it and those who were just hapless victims. I thought of all of that in a matter of a minute. And then I thought retaliation. Oh, my God. What is that going to bring us? What will we do? How far will we go? Oh. And I began to talk about the need to seek after justice. And it is we read that in Deuteronomy, we read it all throughout the Bible, to long for justice. And then I was afraid that we might start to lust for revenge. And that is terrifying. So we have to have men and women who speak the word, the go, stop words, mm -hmm. who are fearless. Because in order to say those words, they may have to uh, go against the wishes of their own um, cabals, their own group, their own, but they have to have that much courage. I think we are, we'll see who's, we'll see the difference between men and males and women and females. There's a world of difference from women and men, not just some old powerful males and old powerful women, females, I mean. We need some women now. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. I am back, it's Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Sebo Velikazi, and we are talking about courage in the face of chaos and grief. And we are specifically talking about the, the uh, recent looting and the violence 
<clears throat> if you would like to SMS us, please do so on 34519 or telegram us on 61 895 before we get back to talk about uh, what uh, Maya Angela was saying, you were saying about mob violence. And, you know, the, the worrying part about mob violence is the psychology behind it. Um, the mentality that actually takes over. There's almost a sense of safety in a mob violence and otherwise really responsible citizens are caught up in this mayhem often and um, which is what I think has shocked our nation at the moment. Now, Maya Angelou talks about how she felt when she saw the, the what happened with the plans, the shock and the, the thought of the people in the buildings and then the people in the plans and then the perpetrators of it. What did you think about that, YouTube? I can understand how all those thoughts could have gone through her head. And she does say that all this happened in a, in a matter of a, of a minute. Yeah. What, what um, struck in my mind uh, out of all that she said was the fact that difficult decisions are going to have to be made. Decisions that separated men from males and women from females. And I think we are in a, a similar situation here where, and we've seen very much uh, some, some of this in action ourselves where people have had to put aside differences, for example, in the, if we think about how we saw these uh, communities coming together, people have had to put aside differences and think more as community members and think more as business people. In fact, not even not even that, but just think as how how do I feel as a citizen of this country who cares about my safety, the safety of my family, and the safety of my property? So I feel that it's it it has caused us in many ways this this time that we're going through to have to think beyond just you know the little self interest as an individual more and and more in terms of the greater good just one point quickly Sue, about the mob situation i fear sometimes or i find sometimes that as south africans we tend to be very hard on ourselves and we think we are we think we've got the highest crime rate in the world. We think we're the worst at, at, at everything, which many times isn't true. And similarly with this recent occurrence, mob violence takes place all, all around the world all the time. We are not special. We are not the world's worst group of people. But they think about the soccer hooligans in, uh, in, in, in England. I mean, they're legendary. They're well-known. Think about... The guys who stormed the White House earlier earlier this year, and so I would just want to make the point that as South Africans we tend to um, think of ourselves very harshly and in, in in specific groups. So we are not the worst in the world. It's not the only place in the world that this kind of thing has happened. But also, it's not restricted to a particular socio-economic group. Absolutely. Yes, in this case. Um, you know, it may have been a particular group. It, it was the poor that were being manipulated the most. And although we saw that even in the end, the perpetrators were not just, were not only the poor. But if you look at soccer hooliganism, if you look at the storming of the White House, it wasn't at all people of poor um, socioeconomic um, capacity. 
You still, you know what? Funny enough, I was actually looking up uh, uh, on Safari about mob violence throughout the world at the moment. And I was absolutely appalled to see that it was in Greece, it was in Italy, it was in France. It was all over the world at the moment. And I think what we are looking at is a major shift in how we are actually facing the world. And um, it's come about by COVID, by the pandemic, by the hardships that the pandemic has brought in, the questioning, the losses, the questioning about life. So, you know, when you when you think of Italy and Greece and places like that suddenly rioting, um, it comes as a great shock, quite honestly. So I, I do agree with you. Um, I, I read an article the other day that said that uh, we are rated among the, the top uh, three countries, worst countries for violence in the world. And I actually question that, first of all. I think it could be in certain areas. Um, but at the same time, I think you, we are incredibly harsh with ourselves. And I think we forget to look at what else has come out from these riots. What do you think? What have you seen? I agree with the sentiments you've expressed. And I think that part of what we are seeing with all these riots, for example, so firstly, there's the pressure in many parts of the world of the lockdowns that have been imposed as a result of COVID-19. But the broader sense is a dissatisfaction with government and a dissatisfaction with the way that governments have ruled in the various jurisdictions in the, in the various countries. What occurred to me, one of the things that occurred to me about our own situation and when we saw how political games ended up landing us where we are was the fact that democracy, for all its merit, doesn't guarantee <laughs> good governance, doesn't guarantee a good government. It's merely a means of selecting a government. And when it works well, it's good, but it does have its... Um, it does have its weaknesses. And so that's what we are seeing. The other thing that occurs to me about this whole thing, Sue, is these different ways of, organi- of, of organizing. Whereas before, in the South African context, certainly, whereas before mass protests and movements were, were organized by formal formations, organizations, whether it is for or against apartheid or whatever the situation may have been, what we are seeing now is there are no clearly identifiable leaders. And, you know, we've had this period, this season, this de- decade almost of um, seemingly sporadic service delivery pro- uh, protests. There isn't a single one single body that can be play, that can claim leadership of those. And so we are seeing more and more of these different ways of people organizing themselves around an issue that that um, that concerns them. And in fact, what happened uh, a fortnight ago in uh, in Durban and in Gauteng was citizens seeing that there was no assistance from the law again organized themselves and started protecting uh, started protecting their property. So it's 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 to me part of an indication of where the world is and maybe even where the world is going in terms of how we are responding to the condition in uh, the conditions in which we live 
Um, what those are wise words, quite honestly, and I do believe that if we look worldwide, leadership worldwide is actually missing out on values at the moment. There are there are very very few countries. I, I don't even know if I can name any that really are based on on very strong value a value system, and that is what is really causing so much uncertainty and havoc in our in our lives and you know Viktor Frankl talks about responsibility and I think when we talk about democracy we need to look at responsibility and responsibility uh, democracy without responsibility is anarchy and right now that's what we are in we we do not have strong leadership in our country at all or in many other countries, and so we are looking at anarchy around the world. That's right. And where, in fact, I was in the popular press and um, on social media, I read an article the other day written by a, a business leader in uh, Durban who is pointing a finger directly at government and saying, you have failed the business sector and you have failed South African society in in how you lead. We saw that open letter to the president that um, someone wrote uh, by, uh, a week or so ago. And in fact, in my own way, my uh, letter on, on Facebook, which was not related to these, it was just me expressing my frustration and that, that I felt coming from my colleagues. But I was saying to our community, guys, take responsibility, you better listen up, you know, you, you, you've got to wake up and realize that you have the freedom to choose how you act towards a particular situation. So what I think is happening now and what I think we need more of in South African society is this open and honest conversation dialogue. And, and, and dialogue around who is responsible for what and what should we each be doing to um, to make to make things better for for us all. Now we are at a disadvantage in South Africa because of our history. So I was looking, for example, at the article. It was written by a guy called uh, Justin Barnes. Is his name. He is one of the business leaders in, within KZN. And he, when he calls out government, it's almost it's seen as very brave because he's a white he's a white man. And government is largely black. And so he has got to, first of all, think about the attacks that are going to come towards him of being racist, the attacks that are going to come, oh, yeah, because you are comfortable, etc., etc. But in fact, the issues he's pointing out there and what was of more interest to me than just his, his article were the responses. And I saw a lot of black people say, that's right. These guys need to be able to to account. And so that's where we need to get to as a society, these frank and open conversations and really calling each other out in a, in a constructive way rather than a destructive way. And I feel that's how we will be able to, to make progress. So, so just quickly, my own letter then was to my community leaders and to members of my community and say, guys, Simply because we are, we are black, let's stop excusing destructive behavior. Simply because we, we have poverty among us, and we, that's a well-known fact. But let's not let that define us, and let's not let that be the thing 
that allows everyone to say, ah, oh, shame, these, you know, these people are poor, so we understand when they act like animals, when they act in a barbaric manner. Because that's not right. That's not who we are. And even if, it, even if it is who we are, we've got to change then because it's, 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 it's wrong. So I was hope, I was, and I felt I could do that because I, uh, I have the legitimacy to do that. I'm black. I live in this community. I know this community. I work in this community and I can challenge them directly. But I, I recognize that the same letter might not have had the same impact, might not, in fact, might have had the complete opposite effect if it had been written by a white person, say. Absolutely. If I had written a letter like that, I think I probably would have been lynched. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It would not have been accepted at all. On the other hand, as a white woman, I can express my, my disappointment and my anger at people who immediately said, that's it, we're out of here. Forgetting what South Africa has actually given us, what uh, what Africa itself, South Africa means to us, it's in our blood. You you can't just throw the towel in because something like this is happening. We have gone through disasters before. We've gone through heartache before as a nation, and we've come out. And we, I think that's what we have to hold on to. You know, there is this uh, the, the, the destructive power of hate. And I think that our social media is feeding into that destructive power at the moment of hate and and trying to divide us even more. And I think that is something that if you've got a voice, we have to use it at the moment. And we have to use it to say, well, okay, that happened. It was terrible. But how are we going to move forward together? Yeah. And that, I think, is going to be how we are going to be defined as a nation. How do we take this and move forward as a nation? Not individually, but together. Yeah. I, I agree. And I, there is one of the positives that's come out of this. Uh, one of the obvious positives is the fact that communities stood together like we spoke earlier earlier on. And if the, 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 the other good thing about it is that we as communities showed government that we don't need you. You are not the power over us that you sometimes assume yourself to be. We can actually make things happen by ourselves. And we will protect our property, our lives, our families with or without you. And I, I hope that it's caused governments to pay attention. So that's, uh, on the one hand, there's that. On the other hand, what I would see from this uh, as, as, as a necessary step forward from this is the reason, by and large, that people stood up and protected property was Selfish was 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 a selfish one. It was self-preservation, and I'm not judging that 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 reason. All I'm saying is it was mainly just I'm going to protect what's mine. Anybody comes here, I'm shooting them dead. And people lost their lives, by the way. So that even on that side, there was criminality, which I think we shouldn't excuse simply because you feel you were on you, you held the moral high ground when you commit a crime that's 
if I think those people, and there were lots of innocent people that were shot, um, that didn't need to have been shot, shot and killed in some instances. And I believe those people should be held to account. But what I think would also help us then in light of what you were saying as a society is if we don't stand up only to protect what's mine, but we stand up to uh, protect each other and to fight for the well-being of each other, of everybody else, myself, but also those around me. I think that's what... And on those wise words, we're just going quickly to uh, advert and then another YouTube quickly. Many people who say that human nature is savage, that if we could rid ourselves of social constraints, we would become animals and literally eat each other alive. But I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think there are, there are sides of us that are quite brutal and quite selfish. But nature has given us many gifts, among them something called the helper's high, the neurobiology of helping others. Literally, acts of compassion, acts of kindness. When we submit, when we volunteer by our own volition to serve other people, to extend our hands towards one another, we get a biological reward. Our brain literally rewards us, secretes pleasure chemicals. It drugs us into bliss to reward us for being kind to one another. I mean, you guys understand what I'm talking about. Our fundamental wiring is there to give us a prize, right? To give us a reward to be kind and collaborative and cooperative with one another. This is known as the helper's high. It's what people say that nothing gives them as much satisfaction as helping other people. Now, it makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint that we would have inherited this biochemical reward for working and collaborating with other people because we take care of our tribe and we're more likely to survive by working together. All good, the science is there, I love it. But it's the metaphysical dimension that really turns me on. It's turning to this wiring during moments of despair, when we think the world is going to hell, when we fear that what is out of sight is out of mind. and. We feel that the world perhaps lacks compassion. I mean, watching the media these days certainly makes you feel that way. And I guess what I'm saying is that it's during these moments that we might turn to this awareness, to this notion that no, my friends, that our fundamental nature is good, that our fundamental wiring is set up in a way <laughs> to give us gifts, to shower us with blessings for being kind to one another. At the risk of repeating myself, I guess what I'm saying is, it is its own reward. Do not seek external payment. Trust in the inner satisfaction that you will get by offering your life to some higher purpose. Find the need that's lacking in the world and turn your passion into a purpose. And I don't know, I mean, that's the kind of thing that certainly makes me willing to get up in the morning to believe that, uh, that by making a fundamental difference in someone else's life, I'm also getting off. And that's not a bad thing. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Thank you so much. That was um, a, a, a particularly interesting um, a YouTube. It's called The Helper's High by Jason Silver. And I think it's very much what we're talking about is actually... Uh, 
reaching out to help other people. And in that way, we, we heal ourselves as well. You know that um, Rabbi uh, Lord Jonathan Sachs, uh, who was a great hero of mine and remains a hero even though he's no longer with us, he talks about facing the future together and he talks about empathy. And he says that pa- uh, people who have suffered pain often end up inflicting pain on others, resulting in violence against individuals and groups. Empathy is when we try to see the world through their eyes, try to feel what they are. What did you think of that YouTube, Sebo? Uh, I find it incredibly uh, insightful and satisfying in a sense and, and, and helpful because I feel that's where we are, myself and my colleagues as an organization. And I think that's what we... That's what we feed off of this helpers high because, uh, you know, we were, we, we had a, we had a team meeting and we recognized that we are disappointed, we are angry, we are, we, we, we even have this resentment of a community for how they've treated us be, uh, through looting our property and here we are trying to help them. But at the end of the day, we came back to the fact that, you know what? It, this is our calling. This is our passion. This is what defines us. And without, and there are people in the community still who have need for what we can offer in terms of assistance. And I think that's what we've hung on to in order to be able to still go out in spite of the pain and still go out in spite of the hurt and, uh, and, and help. Because on the inside of us and deep down, there is that satisfaction all the time that comes with, uh, that comes with knowing that you've been helpful to someone else. And the other thing with that that stood out for me was the fact that when we put this post out on Facebook, it was really almost a challenge to the community to say, how are you going to respond? You know, we want to, we, we, we're rattling your cage. We want you to fight back so we can debate this thing. But what we found, especially from the community surrounding where we live, has been compassion and has been grace, has been kindness. I, I have to tell you, Sue, we've been overwhelmed with offers for assistance. We, we, we posted a, a, on the weekend, we put a post on our Facebook page uh, of, of thanks and we showed pictures of two buckies full of clothes that have been donated by members of surrounding communities. This morning, we are receiving food packs from a, a, a nearby organization for, uh, for distribution to community members. So that's what um, Jason Silver speaks of has been demonstrated in a most touching way for us in that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of a time when people would see themselves as having a right to be angry, they've still dug deep and found it within themselves to be charitable, to be, uh, to be generous, to be kind, and to offer a hand of, of, of assistance. That, that's been significant for me. A very significant to me as well, and it gave me hope. You know, on uh, Mandela Day, I 
um, my one daughter phoned to say she was collecting my little grandchild of three because they were going to go and do some clean-up work. Um, and I, I thought to myself, you know, here we have, we've just come through this violence and riots and, and fear, and there was still that thought, well, you know, let's go and clean the streets and, yeah. and do something beyond ourselves. And I sought, I, I have family living um, in Hilton and in Nottingham Road, and, and I've seen how the community have come together to work with each other, all colours. And my one niece was telling me how... Um, they made sandwiches and they went to, they, they, the, the, these children actually hadn't, my niece's children, and they hadn't really realized how people who lived so close to them were living yeah. in such abject poverty. So yeah. they were making sandwiches and handing them out. And, and I heard one story about one of the girls who, who actually would only have one meal a day because she wanted to give the other away. Yeah. Now, now, primatologist Franz de Waal says we've evolved to we've evolved to hate our enemies, to ignore people we barely know, and to distrust anybody who doesn't look like us. Even yeah. if we're largely cooperative within our own communities, we become almost a different animal in our treatment of strangers. Mm. It's true, isn't it? Very true. Very true. On that note, actually, one of the things that occurred to me about this time that we've been through and the more I spoke to people about it is everybody was in shock. I mean, even as, you know, it's two weeks ago now, I was talking to someone yesterday and she said to me, it still feels unreal. And what occurred to me about that is I hope it will give us a sensitivity towards the plight of people who live in situations like this on an ongoing basis. And I was thinking in particular of the refugees that we have in our country whom we often turn against. And uh, we live with with, with, with uh, these refugees, be they Somalis, um, Rwandans, and um, all, 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 all okay. sorts. Mm. And they know in our they know that we don't like them. And they know that for the most part we hate them, you know, and it can't be a, 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 a uh, it can't be a nice experience for them living, living that way. And so what I found myself hoping is that having realized how traumatic a disruption of one's life by, uh, by something as serious as, you know, we, we were almost in a state of war. In, we were almost in a state of we were we were in a state of anarchy. How disruptive that can be in one's livelihood. So how much worse must it have been for these people to have then left their country to come here and seek a, 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 a better life? We experienced just a little bit of it and it shook us to the core. I'm hoping that it'll help build a um, an empathy, a a, 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 a sense of understanding and gentleness and better way more, more helpful way of dealing with our with, with 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 those in our midst who've suffered this at a at a high level uh those are are, are such 
good words to actually think about. I think we need to ponder that. And um, just getting a, a, a message from Craig. Thank you, Craig. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Sebo Vilakazi. And we are getting messages to wrap up already. We're on on Skype, so we the times are a little bit off. I'm sorry about that. I see there's a message from Carol Zimmerman. Thank you, Carol. It says, Dearest Sue, as promised, your program is five-star. I would like to end with this, and then I'll ask you how you would like to end, Sebel. I would like to end by this quote by Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. Says, let the good in me connect with the good in others until all the world is transformed through through the compelling power of love. How would you like to end, Sebo? Well, for me, one a point that I would want to make is that as much as we've spoken about coming together and working together to rebuild, I think it's important to not over romanticize the the situation. We still have some serious problems, even at the interpersonal level. And what I'm hoping will come out of this is that people are going to be more likely to take a moment and and just reflect on their own personal response, not just to this situation, but to the people around them. And hopefully as a result of that, learn to reach out with sincerity, to uh, to understand and to uh, and to learn to live with with uh, with with others. I do agree that I I'm a, I'm a firm believer that we are inherently good and that it, that humans are inherently good. It, it's it's for me that's ingrained. It's my it, it's the belief from which everything springs forth for me. It's why I do what I do. It's why I do the work that I do. It's why I wake up in the morning. So it's what I get up in the morning to do. And I think that life throws all these curveballs at us. But ultimately, if we challenge ourselves to find kindness, to find love, and to find this compassion for each other, we are going to go far. And the forces that are looking to divide us are not going to succeed. And instead, we will come together in a meaningful and in a truthful way and forge a beautiful future together. Thank you, Sue, for having me. Thank you. On those wise words, we have to end. Sebo, thank you so much for being on my program. There is so much more to discuss. Um, there has a message has come through from Australia from Liz Erwig. Marvelous program. What a changing, what a changing wounds into wisdom session. Thank you both. So thank you so much. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Wussy. I'll see you next week. Bye.